This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to today's episode, and we are so excited. We have Scott Jelinek, and he has been a real estate investor for almost 30 years, and he has closed over 800 deals and owns 158 slow flips. And when you think of slow flip, a lot of you might be like, what is that? Is that just a flip that takes a long time? It's not. And so stay tuned. We are super excited and we are glad to welcome Scott. Scott, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing today, Chantel? I'm doing great. So tell us what in the world is a slow flip? So a slow flip is really nothing new. You know, everybody's basically, we sell homes with owner financing, long-term owner financing, and that's been around forever. But what we do that makes it unique and what makes it a slow flip is we have two sides of it. We buy it on short-term financing and then we sell them on long-term financing. So it's not just the sale. We typically buy low-end homes, which I know everybody everybody hates, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we buy low-end homes, and then we, we buy them on five-year mortgages, so they're amortized and free and clear in five years, which is another thing I know everybody hates. Everybody loves leverage and hates free and clear. And then we sell them on long-term mortgages, either to investors or homeowners. More often than not, they're to investors. And we do them as is. We don't renovate. We don't do repairs. We operate just like a bank. Okay. So give me break it down for someone who has never even heard about what a slow flip is. Break it down just in the simplest of terms for people to understand, let's say, exactly from how you start to get the property and who you're selling them to. So first, let me give you the numbers because I don't know, this is going to be, I guess you're going to have people listen from all over the country. And in certain areas of the country, people are going to hear my numbers and they are going to say, he's out of his mind. You can't buy a house for that much, right? This is the first thing people say. That's crazy. That's Nobody can buy a house for that price. But I always tell them, if you say, before you argue, just go on Google and you can find there, there are whole cities with tons of houses in these price ranges. Our typical slow flip, and now we can we do all kinds of creative deals with all kinds of numbers, but the typical slow flip is a $30,000 house or less, which I know people might be like, that's crazy. They don't exist. They do exist. And we buy houses for $30,000, but we can use a private lender for the entire amount. So $30,000 with a private lender Typically, we pay 12% interest, which I know sounds really high, but on a short-term mortgage, it's not much of a difference. On a five-year mortgage for $30,000, the payment comes out to $667.33. That's amortized, so there is no balloon. We sell it immediately, like the same day. We don't paint it, clean it up, mow the lawn. We sell them immediately, typically an average price of $89,000. And we sell it on a 30-year mortgage, and our average payment that we're bringing in is $875 a month. So we typically don't make any money for the first five years, but after that 60th payment, it's all profit. The starting payment number 61 through 360 is all profit because we didn't pay anything for it and our buyer completely paid it off in the first five years. Does that clarify it? Yes, so let me repeat it. And then, so first of all, you're gonna find a house somewhere around $30,000, $50,000. You're gonna use a private lender. You're gonna get it at about 12% interest. 
for the first five years, you're paying around $667 a month, something Correct. from there. And then you're going to sell it for around 80000 Is that is our average, yep. Sell it around 80000 And then you're going to make around $875 an hour. Correct. And, and so you're saying, look, I'm only making about $200 profit for the first five years, but then you're making the full amount. The well, I actually try to teach my people as there's no profit for the first five years. And the reason is, I know it looks like there is, but I didn't take into account taxes and insurance. So after you factor in taxes and insurance, it's really no profit for the first five years, but that's okay. And the reason is, and people have a hard time with this because most people get into this business and they want to hit the ground running and be rich next month, right? Well, what I've come to, and there's a, a saying I love, and I'll tell you right now, is I always tell people, I say, if you do what's easy, life will be hard. And if you do what's hard, life will be easy. And this is the hard path. It's hard to not get paid for five years. But if you do it in five years, you're going to be so thankful that you did because now you're free for the rest of your life, as opposed to try and make that little spread right now. And you can struggle along with rentals for the rest of your life. Most people I know with rentals, that do with the conventional model, the Burr method and refi and pull out all this money and have mortgage payments, they make a small spread and usually they love it. And sometimes it's fantastic providing the market doesn't change and everything stays great. There's a flip side to that. And that's if the market doesn't stay great or if things don't go your way, you still have all these mortgages. And I've, I've been down that road. Um, you know, I, I can tell you a little bit about how I got into this and my story, but I've been down that road and everything got flipped on its head, which is why I converted my thinking to, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be the bank. I do not want to be enslaved to the bank. So I've, I've changed it around my whole way of thinking. And so we struggle in the sense that we don't make money for the first five years. But once we pass five years, I mean, the cash flow is enormous. So, I mean, I 1,000 times over prefer it to conventional rentals. So do you have any conventional rentals at all? Zero. I currently have 178 properties, and I have zero conventional rentals. They're all slow flips. Now, they do range in price. I'm telling you the numbers on a $30,000 home because that's the model that I teach. However, I have them all the way up to 875000 We do all kinds of passes where we can do the sell side of the slow flip, but the buy side where we can't pay them off in five years if they're a different price range. So I do have them in all different price ranges, but the base model is the 30 to 50,000 where we pay them off in five years. But I have zero rentals. I have 178 properties. I have zero employees. I have zero management. I don't have repair calls because we are just the bank. We are just processing payments. We're not, we're not maintaining the property. It's somebody else's property to maintain. Wow. So, when did you start doing this? How long ago? So to give you a little background, so the slow flip was actually born in 2011, where I defined it and started doing five-year mortgages. But prior to that, I started buying rentals in 1994. About 2001, we had our first signs of appreciation, right? Up until then, I was buying for the same prices. I was buying non-qualifying assumptions, if you remember those. And I was buying them for the same prices the people bought them for in 85, 86, 87, taking over their mortgages. There was no appreciation until about 2000, 2001, we started seeing appreciation. And then I did what everyone taught to do. I went to the seminars, I read the books, and I did what everybody taught, which was to pull out the equity, right? Pull out that's dead money, pull out the equity and buy more properties. And so I did that. And so I got to about 84 properties up until 2007. 
And I know everybody loves to say the bust was 2008, but I assure you it was in 2007 because I have my books to prove it. And in 2007, I had probably 30 to 35 properties overnight stop paying. I mean, everybody was getting crushed, but ultimately it flowed to their landlord. And I ultimately lost 55 of my houses out of those 84 to foreclosure. And this is really challenging. It's hard on anybody, mind you, but it was really hard on me because I'm, I had an Escalade wrapped in stop foreclosure. You know, it's, we, that was our business. And so it was, it was a challenging time, but a lot of people went out of business. They went back to their jobs, went back to their pre-real estate lives. And I didn't have that option because I was just a landscaper beforehand. And I, there's no, no job I could have got that would have afforded me the lifestyle I was already living. And so I saw there were still some people who were crushing it. They were still doing really well. And so I started, you know, interviewing them and having lunch and trying to find out what they're doing different. And one of the things I found across the board, 100%, which goes against everything everyone teaches, is they all owned everything free and clear. And so that sounds great to own stuff free and clear, but you got to have money, right? You got to have money to buy them. And so I, I realized, well, that was, just wasn't going to be possible. We just have to pay them off quickly. So in 2011, if you remember the market, we were we were going down from eight to nine, 10, 11. That's really what we were hitting bottom. And houses in our market were you can find houses off the MLS for 15 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand. But I couldn't get a mortgage. I couldn't finance a pack of gum, right? Because my credit was shot. I just lost all these houses. So that's where I came up with the plan of okay, well, I'm gonna have to borrow money, even though I'm against debt, but I need it to be as fast as possible. And so I used private lenders. And again, private lender, everybody's like, oh, they're so hard to find. Private lenders love this because they're making a 12% return on their money. I remember when I was first talking to lenders about it and everybody wants to do a 30-year mortgage, right? That's what we're all accustomed to. And I remember thinking, I said, I buy a car for 50 grand and they finance me for five years. Yet I want to buy a house. They want to finance that same 50 grand for 30 years. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I want them paid off as quick as possible. So in 2011 is really when I put it together as a formal plan. And it was rough all the way up until 2016. All the way up until 2016, I was constantly questioning myself, am I doing the right thing? I have all these properties and I'm not making any money from them, you know, because we're, we have this five-year plan. In 2016, everything changed. And now, the, you know, the first month, I have three paid off. The next month, I got two more paid off. I got one paid off. I got three paid off. I have them on my wall the months that they're paid off. And suddenly, everything changed because now all the cash is coming in and we get to keep it instead of the conventional plan, which is you bring in a ton of cash and then you send out a ton of cash and you hope to keep what's left. Once we hit our fifth, our fifth year, our 60th month, all the money's ours. And it really changed so everything. Really it's only yours because if, so let me just repeat this. So let's say you buy that house for 30,000 and then you're giving it, you're basically being the bank for that new tenant. And so you're saying to him, okay, I'm now selling it to you for 80,000. First of all, my first question is, how many of those people actually end up going through it and paying it? And what happens if that person says, okay, this place needs a new roof and new AC and new this and new that. How many of those people actually just say, screw it, I don't have $10,000 to put on a new roof and a new HVAC and all this stuff, I'm out. And they just uh, forget. Those are two questions and they're great questions. So the first one you were saying, how many people actually come through with it, right? So we have a really high success rate, but one of the reasons we do is because we fully amortize it for 30 years. 
One of the things I don't like about our business and the owner finance business, the people that do rent to owns and lease options, is it has a really bad reputation, and rightfully so, because most people that do lease options, and, and I used to do lease options, and all that type of stuff, they have a balloon. They say, oh, you have two years, you have three years, you have five years, and then you have to refi it or pay it off. And what happens is this person put money down, and now they renovated it, and then three years go by, and they can't refi, and they lose the house. So they kind of... You know, I'm not calling them scams because it is what everybody agreed to, but it is a black eye on the industry because these people are losing their home. So when we did this, we decided we don't want to be a part of that. So we're giving them the full term. They have the full term. They never have to refi, never have to you know, pay us off. Just do your monthly payments like a regular bank. Now about the work that it needs. Now, some of the houses are perfect and then some houses need major work, but we advertise them as such. If it's a handyman special or a contractor special, I've had houses completely burned out by fire and I've still sold them with owner financing to contractors. So the contractor now gets a good deal where he doesn't have to qualify for a mortgage. He doesn't have to go to a bank and now he can bring in his own crews and do the renovation. And then he either a keeps it as a rental for himself or he can put it on the market and sell it. But we, you know, we, we allow them to do home inspections ahead of time. We allow them to inspect it as thoroughly as they would like. But it just like just like if you were selling a, a, a bank owned and someone bought it using hard money and it was more work than they expected. Well, that's on their they're grown ups and it's your job as a grown up to make your own decisions. Some people need bite off more than they can chew. But for the most part, we sell to investors and they know it. You know, they renovate them, they rent them or a lot of them do Section 8. A lot of them do regular rentals and some turn around and sell them. It does happen. We do have some turnover, but for the most part, even during COVID when nobody was going to work, our people, I had friends in the regular rental business that had massive non-payers and our people were paying because they had such a vested interest in them that they weren't willing to take a chance on what if this ends and we end up getting kicked out. So everybody paid, not everybody, but most of them all paid. So did you come up with this name slow flip or is that someone else came up with this idea? So I came up with the name. Actually, a friend of mine used that word um, in a different context. So he used it in a different context. But as soon as I heard it, he was using it for something else that was similar to not really what we do, but he actually renovated the homes and then sold them on a lease option type thing. But when I heard the, the word, I was like, that is what we do with slow flips. And so I've used that term ever since as what we do. And so I didn't. I, I can't say I invented the word. If you Google slow flips, there's 20 people that are using it in different contexts throughout the country. Um, a lot of them mean like they live in the home and and live in it for two years while they renovate it and then turn around and sell it. They call that a slow flip. In our version and what we coined as slow flips is buying them. You know, the the, the simple way I say it is we buy it like a car and we sell it like a house. We buy it on short term money, sell it on long term money. So how many houses that you have bought? are completely paid off right now. I have 79 of mine are free and clear. And this is something that I always talk to people. I, I, I said, you don't understand the magnitude of the power of free and clear homes. Everybody preaches the opposite, you know, oh, leverage, leverage, leverage. And that's great. And there is value to leverage, mind you. I'm not putting that down, but not for me. I, I came to a conclusion that uh, I want freedom and I want simplicity. You can do the leverage model. People say, well, if I take those 79 and parlay them, I can turn those into 700 houses, right? And you could, but I don't need 700 houses. I have more than enough. So think about even just 79 houses on how much that is per month coming in with no no outgoing money. It's a lot of money where- How, you much, know, how much is it exactly? Uh, 
on average, we get about $900 per month, you know, so it's, it's a lot. 79,000, about $79,000 a month. Yeah, yeah, right now I think I'm at about 70, yeah, per month. And then the rest of them, I still have, I have 178 now. The rest of them will be paid off at some day within five years. Because even the ones I bought this past week, they have five years now. But every one I purchase has a five-year term behind it. So they keep, it keeps increasing as we go. So you and I are friends with Matt Saunders. And if you guys missed that episode, he's actually come on the show twice. It's been one of our biggest downloads. And he owns 75, over 75 rental properties. He owns them free and clear. He makes $75,000 a month. He owns them. But what he's done is he did it the traditional way, right? Where he just kept buying another one, buying another one, paying it down, paying it down, doing it on 15-year mortgages. Now, someone would say, okay, well, is the way that Matt did it better because he, for you guys, you guys make it 20, you guys are going to get paid for 25 years on the property because if you do a 30-year mortgage, you're getting paid for 25 years. So there's pros and cons to both and I can see them, but I want you to talk about both sides. So like if you go the Matt Saunders way and if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you download it. What are the pros for that? What are the cons for that? And then for the slow flip, I want you to be real honest. What are all the pros? What are all the cons? So Matt used to do 15-year mortgages when he started, but then he started primarily paying cash for his houses, right. which I love because now you're getting paid right from day one. And I do a lot of them in cash now too, but it just wasn't possible in the beginning. So it's interesting. I had a comment. I remember when Matt was doing primarily Section 8 and we had lunch and he had me convinced to go ahead and give Section 8 a try. And we left that lunch with me trying Section 8 and him trying slow flips because we, we both were excited about what it was we were doing. And I, I tried Section 8 for a while and didn't like it at all. And then he came more onto the slow flip side. So the, um, the pros and cons basically are the, the short answer I always tell people is there's a million ways to make a million dollars. Choose one, right? It's not it's not slow flips or nothing. It's not Matt's way or nothing. It's not whatever you're doing or nothing. But they all work. All you know, all these different systems work. I always, you know, people ask, well, what's the best investment? And I say your best investment is investing in yourself. Because to say slow flips are the best thing in the world, I believe they are, but it's not the only thing in the world. Matt's way clearly works, your way clearly works. People that run restaurant chains works for them. You know, it's just not, you know, I'm doing what works for me and my personality type. Like I don't like to manage people. I don't like property. I don't like all of that infrastructure. And so for me, just managing paper is what works. But other people, I'll tell you one of the big cons, one of the reasons people hate what I do. Well, there's a couple of reasons they hate what I do. But one of the one of the big reasons they hate them is some people that have nicer properties like you have, Chantel, is they they have an emotional attachment to their house. They love their house. Like they took care of it. They picked out the door and the fixture and they drive by and they're proud of their house and they love it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I used to be that way. Now I have no emotional attachment to my houses. I have houses I've never seen. And I, and I, now I just, I'm, I process papers. I just shuffle papers. That's it. I, you know, I, I sign the papers here at this price. And then I sign papers here at this price and I collect a check and I pay out a check, but I don't have any emotional, that home has an emotional attachment, but it's to my buyer. My buyer now is the one who's loving that house and picking out the fixture and changing the door. It's not, it's not me. And so that's a hard, I've had a friend of mine recently said, we were talking about changing his rentals to slow flips and his answer, I'll never forget. He said, well, with my luck, they'll all end up buying it. 
And I'm like, do you hear what you're saying? Yes, with your luck, they'll buy them. It's, we sell them at full retails. We, I call it super retail because it's full retail, but without agent commissions, without closing cost assistance, without punch list. So you, if, if they were to buy them, then yes, you'll take that money and go buy two more with that money. You know, so it, it's not a bad thing if they bought them. But when you have an emotional attachment to the house, it is a bad thing because you feel like you're losing your houses. And to me, I'm like, well, I lost one and I bought three more or two more. So it doesn't matter which ones they are. The other thing that people don't like about these is we generally, not always, but generally deal in low-end housing. And most people, and this is the reason our business exists, most people do not like low-end housing. For rentals, they are the worst rentals you could ever have in the world. Why are they the worst? You're going to have the lower-end tenant. You're going to have higher maintenance. You're going to have higher turnover. You're going to have you know, a lower-quality person, a lower-quality neighborhood. For flips, nobody wants them because, you know, there's not a lot of retail sales in the neighborhood. There, there might be, you get your constructions getting their stuff ripped off when they go home at night and they don't want to rehab in these areas. And so they sit. And so people are like, well, then how come it works for you? Because I, I used to not buy in these markets. Before I did slow flip, I was the same way. I was like, no, I don't want rentals in these areas and I wouldn't mess with them. But as a slow flip, it's different because we're not selling the house so much as we're selling the financing and the house comes with it. And so... People buy, like I have no vacancies at all. I have one right now, but I just closed on it last week. So it's 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 vacant, but only because it's brand new. But we typically have zero vacancies. Now that doesn't mean the house isn't vacant because I may have sold it to a landlord who now renovated it and he may had a tenant for a year or two. It may be vacant and he's refilling it, but I still get my check every month, just like a bank, whether or not it's producing, whether or not he has a tenant in there, whether or not the air conditioning unit got stolen or the roof caved in. I'm still getting my check on the first of the month, regardless of what's going on in the house, because that's not my business. I'm just the bank. I operate. I always tell people, I said, you wouldn't call Bank of America if you had a leak. Don't call me. I operate just like the bank. So one of the things I always say is that you're unemployed until your next sale. So when you're in real estate, you earn the money, you get paid, and then you're actually unemployed again, right? That's how real estate works. So we want to teach everybody how to conduct themselves as a business and not just be real estate agents because business owners, being a business owner will help you retire. And so I want you to look at something that is the next level, which is Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant. And so yeah. what he says is, is that the next level of a business owner is like, okay, ask yourself, am I on this side or am I on this side? Am I just self-employed or am I a business owner or do I take it to the next level and have passive income? And that's really what is great is because we teach you, number one, how to operate on this side where you're a business owner and also are creating passive income. And what I say is, does your system, does your business work independently from you? Like, have you ever been to a real estate agent retirement party like i never have right like i've seen people you know that have been in real estate for a really long time it ages you but i know one thing i don't want to be showing homes on saturdays and sundays getting calls at night and i don't want to when i'm 65 years old 
doing that. And so that's what we're trying to solve is saying, why don't agents retire? Well, there's all kinds of reasons. You know, they there's no retirement contribution matched by their employer. Healthcare prices are going up. Prices in general are just insane right now. And even if you have a rental property that maybe makes $3,000 a month, you're spending $2,000 on expenses, and then you just aren't making enough passive income. So what we wanna teach you how to do, we call it now and later. Like, you know the candy, now and later? Well, we wanna have you have money now, and your now money is helping buyers and sellers buy their home and sell their home. Yes, let's do a little bit of that, but we're going to help you create that later money, which is where we can retire or at least have some kind of retirement money addition to what we're already making. And so that is the real basis of our brokerage. You can build your own brand, you can be successful, and we give you all the tools and support to fast track your business to success. Now, there's a lot of people talk about a contract for deed. It's also called a land contract. And if you guys don't know, a contract for deed, it's where the buyer acquires possession of the house immediately and the seller remains title until all payments are made. So is there any difference from what yours when you, when you call, and again, contract for deed, uh, some people call it a, uh, Agreement for deed or a land contract, right? Yeah, or a land contract, you know, or contract for sale. You know, people call it different things. Is the is there any difference between what you're talking about and this? Nope, that is exactly what we use on the sell side. And the way I word it to my buyers, and this is this is a great way to put a visual in their head. They ask, well, how does this work, or what's the difference? And I say. When you buy a house from the bank, the deed goes in your name and then you pay for 30 years. When you buy a house from me, you pay for 30 years and then the deed goes in your name. It's the exact same end result. And that's the way I explain it to them. Yeah, I I love this model. And I'm just thinking, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is it's funny because Matt Saunders and I, we I love him. He's like one of my favorite people and you are too. And he is like, but... He always tells me, he's like, Chantel, I, I do the same thing for him as him. But when I buy a property, I'm like more particular. And he's like, Chantel, you get more attached to the property. He's like, I don't care. Like what you just said. I'm like, well, I want to make sure it's in a good area. And I want to make sure this, and I want to make sure all this stuff. And he's like, Chantel, just let all that go. He's like, who cares? Did the numbers work? Yes or no. And so I want you to speak to that. What you're, so what I can you're- remember with Matt. So I'm going to use him as an example. I can remember when he was first starting to do the as is sale like we do. And I went to a house that he purchased and I believe it was in Norfolk or it could have been South Norfolk in Chesapeake. And, and he said, well, I want your opinion to see this as it is. And he was going to spend about $30,000 to renovate it and then rent it for about $1,200 a month. And I went out with him to look at it and I told him we can slow flip it right now and get $1,200 a month without spending the 30. And he was almost in disbelief. Like, no, there's no way. Why would anyone, why would anyone, nobody's going to do that. And it got filled right away. And he was hooked on it from that point. It was like, okay, because what happens and you know, it, when I was a conventional landlord, I spent all this money to make the house perfect. And sometimes you have somebody great and they'll take care of it for a bunch of years. And sometimes six months later, they undid all the work you did. And now, 
you have to do it again. And this way, they're doing it. They're spending their own money, their own time, their own energy, and they're also getting the benefit of it. They're getting the benefit and the burden of homeownership. And we are operating strictly like a bank. I tell my people, you know, I always say you can go to any city in the country, right, and look at the tall buildings, and they have bank logos on the side. And the reason they do is because we're all scurrying around and doing the work. We're doing fixing the air conditioning unit, going to court for an eviction. We're, we're renting it. We're answering calls. And then we collect this money, and we send it on up to them. Every month, that's what everybody does. And with the slow flip model, we kind of flipped it on its head to where we're at the top of the building now. And everybody else is running around doing that stuff and they're just sending us our checks. And then Love this. And we, for the first of the month, we have all these pro, you know payments come in and we don't have all the work that went into traditional landlording. So obviously you started this in 2016. So it would be for you to know if it went all the way, it'd be like 2046, right? Like in order for it to go. 2011 is when I started the smoke lifts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I've had a, a dozens and dozens of them pay us off already. Like, okay. so, so what happens is, especially during these last few years, you know, the way our market's been, I have properties and I'm going to tell you numbers and they're staggering, but I've had properties that I bought for twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars sold them the same day for 89,000. So you're like, wow, that's incredible, right? 89,000. That person then renovated it, maybe kept it for two, three, five years. But this last couple of years, we had such a boom, they turned around and sold them for 199, 219. And I go to, you know, I go to closing and I'm I'm getting my 89,000 minus whatever they paid down, but some of them are walking away with a check for 80 grand, 90 grand, $100,000. And so it's not just me, you know, me winning. My buyers are winning as well as long as they do what they're supposed to do. I have buyers that are killing it. I have one buyer, we sell to a lot of investors. I have one buyer that has 13 homes from me right now. And he does a program and I don't really know exactly what the program is, but it's something that he gets paid by the government. It's some, it's like transi transitional housing for people I think getting out of jail or something. But he he's making like $2,000 per month um, per house and paying me about 875. And he's got 13 of these houses with me now. And he loves it. Every month he's telling me how much he loves it because he's got this government paying him money. He just has, he just manages it. They, the government, the money's coming in from the government Then he pays me the 875 and he keeps the difference. And he's always looking for more houses. And so a lot of times, you know, I know I'm rambling on, but a lot of times people hear what we do and they think we're the only ones winning. You know, oh, that's great for you. But now somebody else must be getting screwed. And I'm like, you got to talk to the people who are buying the houses because most of them are crushing it as well. That, you know, it's a it's a win all the way around for the buyer, the seller, and our lenders. So tell me, number one, how do you find the? I know a lot of people are listening and they're like, "There's no thirty thousand yeah. dollars properties out there." There's no. So how do you find those thirty thousand, fifty thousand dollars properties, and who are you selling them to? Like, give us an example of who all these different buyers are, so we can get a glimpse of that. So how we find them varies, and I'm going to tell you why. I buy in multiple states. So I primarily started in Hampton Roads and mostly only bought in Hampton Roads. And I still buy. I closed two. I'm closing two this week. In One in Hampton, I'm getting for 36000 And I just closed on one on Palmyra in, uh, in Norfolk. I paid 60000 So I paid a little bit more for it, but it's a nice house. So I still get them in our area. And in our area, I do them through traditional marketing. I do them through direct mail. I do them through my website, through SEO, um, and through networking. But I go on appointments. The ones in our area, I go on appointments. But I'm also a wholesaler. So so most of the houses, I'll end up wholesaling. And then it's the certain ones that meet the, the slow flip criteria that I keep. If I'm able to wholesale it and make 20, 30 grand right now, I'm going to wholesale it. That's what I do. 
but it, but the certain the lower end housing when, as soon as I get there I know the only out option for this one is going to be a slow flip. But if you look outside of our market, which I also buy in um, in Missouri, I buy in Illinois, and a bunch of our people in the group now are buying in Indiana. There's no marketing. They are just readily available. Like if you go on even Zillow or a real estate agent or go in Facebook um, investor groups on Facebook, there's tons of them available. And we're buying, like I have, I think 47 I have in a town called Cahokia, Illinois. And I've got them from property managers and I'm buying them for 20 grand and they're getting 875 a month. It's crazy the return on them. So we're, we're paying 20 grand, 22 grand, 18 grand and getting back 875 a month right away. I mean, and it's on a 30 year note. The buyers love it because they're a lot of them are doing section eight and they're getting $1,300 a month from the government. So they're paying us the 875 and they're keeping the spread. So it's a win all around. So for lo my local market, I do marketing. That's where I mostly find them. When I go to the other markets, they're readily available. You don't even have to do marketing. You can just pull them right off of available properties. Now, who our buyer is, this is what's really interesting. Our buyer, a lot of them are contractors. We had a lot of contractors. We got investors. I, you know, When you know these seminars that come in and out of town and they're training people to find rental properties, one of the things they teach them is to look for sellers who are willing to order finance, look for ads that say low money down and seller will finance. They're training them to be our customer. They're teaching them the old method, the old way I used to do it. They're teaching them to make their little $200 a month spread. I'm okay with that. I make my money, let them make their money. They're building their own portfolio. They're making their $200 a month spread or whatever it may be, and we make our money. And primarily we sell to investors. Occasionally we get homeowners, um, but the bulk of our business is to other investors. So tell us, give us like three pieces of advice. So if someone says, I'm in, I'm going to start this. Maybe some people have cash right now where they say, I can just buy it. I don't even need the, you know, the loan on money, it right. to get it. I can just buy cash. Give us the three pieces of advice so you'd say, here's what you absolutely need to be aware of. Like, this is some things that could really make a slippery slope. What would that be? Well, even our worst case scenarios have still worked out well. And I told you, I had one that had a fire and it was it was burned up and and I was a little distressed. I'm going to tell you, I bought a package of 24 houses and I did not properly go through all of them. Most of them were occupied and I just did drive-bys on them. A couple of them were vacant and they were boarded up. And so I suspected he boarded them up for safety. And then after I was in the Bahamas, actually, and I sent a guy by to do pictures and video and he's like, did you know this one had a fire? And I'll, I was... Like, no, I guess I should have checked it better. And it was all burned up inside. And I was a little mad at first. And then I was like, you know what? I paid 21000 each. I said, even if I threw that house away, I got them for 22000 right? It was still a good deal. But we still stuck out our signs. You know, he did the signs, did the video, and it still sold right away. And I was like, that was like a worst case scenario. And it still sold because our buyers need us. They People that want to, like if you're a contractor and you don't have all your tax returns and your credit and everything in line to go to a bank, they still want to do real estate investing or still want to flip or still want to have rentals. They need us to be able to buy them. So a couple of things I would say is one is don't wait to start. My number one guy in my program has 87. I, just today, it turned 87. It was 86 houses. He has 87 houses now. He waited, and I just did a podcast with him. He waited 18 months till he bought his first one from the time he learned this till the time he did it. 
And we were talking about that and he's crushing it, but he's like, could you, if I had just started when I, when I learned it, if I had just started when I learned it, I would already have 18 months ahead of these houses being free and clear. His first ones come free and clear this December coming up. So he's, he's just going to hit his fifth year now. So number one is I would say, don't wait. Number two is I'm going to say is you have, everybody has limiting beliefs, right? We, most people, when I talk about this, the first thing they're going to say is there's no such thing as houses for 30 grand. I'm even beside myself sometimes when I see some of these houses, I'm like, how is this house $20,000? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it doesn't change the fact that it's there. You know, it's there. People will say, yeah, you know, this is another thing they say. They'll say, yeah, but they're in bad neighborhoods. You don't want to, you don't want to have houses in this bad neighborhood. And, and so I, I recently was out in um, Illinois. I was there for a meeting, but I went a day early so I can drive by because I own so many houses. I've never seen any of them. So I said, oh, let me go a day early and let me drive by some of them. And I was shocked. I videoed the area and I'm like, this is a nice neighborhood. Why is it, you know, why is it that way? It's, there was, I was not feeling unsafe. I wasn't feeling scared. There's kids on big wheels playing. It was nothing at all distressful about it. Right. But then Illinois and, and St. Louis, they have a slightly declining population. So that's a big thing. People are like, yeah, but it's not a growing market. It's a declining population. So you're not getting appreciation. Like here, your houses that you have, Chantel, you're getting appreciation. You're getting massive appreciation, especially because you're buying the nicer ones. You're getting massive appreciation. The ones out there, we're getting no appreciation. But we're getting the cash. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not in this for appreciation. I'm in this for the cash flow. And so we have very little, if any, outlay of money and massive amount of cash flow. And the other thing- and I, I want to say one thing because- when you say for the first five years that you're not making money, that's only if, I mean, if someone's listening right now and they've got $30,000 sitting around, well, then they would put that $30,000 in and then they are making money from day one. So right. I do want to put that out there because that's another way to think of it. If you've got 30000 sitting in the bank, why not put it into this and then talk about perfect cash flow right there? Like, you know, our average return, you're going to die when I tell you this, especially you're talking about people that have money sitting in the bank. Our bad deals, like the worst deals that we do the lowest of numbers is a 20% return. Our average return is 30 to 33% return cash on cash. It's unheard of for, for anybody, you know, people that people, the reason people don't believe in it is because they say that's too good to be true. Nobody can get that kind of return. And um, our, our bad deals are a 20% return. That's a staggering amount of return, you know? And so the other thing I would give as a piece of advice is don't, if you don't have the 30 grand or 60 grand or 300 grand, don't let the fact that you don't have money fool you into, into convincing yourself that you can't do this. Because even like I was telling you, my number one guy that has 68, he did it with zero dollars, zero, like didn't have $1 to his name. He's only, now he's 29 years old. He was only 25 when he started with us. Didn't have any money at all. It's a it's a limiting belief. People believe, well, I don't have money. That's great for him, but I can't do it because I don't have money. You do not need to have money. There is an abundance of private money out there that wants to be earning a 12% return. So you're helping them while you're getting helped at the same time. Again, everybody wins. So I, I think that's a big problem we have. Sometimes I'll talk with people or I'll have new people join into my program and and they're like, yeah, but I don't have any money to buy these houses. And I'm like, forget, even if you do have money, don't spend it. You don't need to use your money. If you want to, you can, if you don't want to wait out time, but you don't need to have money to do it. You just have to learn the process and go through the process. That's all. Mm, so good. So, you know, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who has quite a few rental properties and they said, 
to me, you know, I'm getting really discouraged with rental properties right now. And he was talking about how he's like, even if I, I he had a couple of rentals, let's say they were $200,000 a year. I mean, $200,000 is what he bought it for. He was right. getting $1,500 a month. And he was like, my taxes and insurance. So, so if you think about $1,500 a month, yeah. he's collecting about $18,000 a year, right? But out of that 18,000, he was saying my taxes are 3,000. So now bring it down to 15. My insurance is 3,000. So bring that down to 12. He's like, I need, I ended up in this particular property. He put $6,000 because they needed and this and they needed that. That was 6,000. And then with the property management fees that were just crazy, um, and ended up was like 3,000. So for the whole year, and here's something he owned free and clear. Yeah. After all those shenanigans and all the repairs, and I will tell you, I've got uh, quite a few rentals. And the last couple months, I told my husband, I'm like, it has been nothing but repair, repair, repair. This takes all of that out of the way. Yeah. It's it's absolutely a game changer. It's absolutely a game changer. I used to do I used to do the repairs. I can remember before we committed to this. I had my rentals one time in QuickBooks. I saw from July to September, I had $250,000 in maintenance and I lost it. I said, that's it. We're not doing any more repairs. I don't know how, but we're not, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm fixing it. They're ruining it. And I, and we committed to changing our model. And it's just different because some people, like I said, some people love their home and they want to, they want to, you know, be proud of it. And so in my model, I'm not proud of my home. Somebody else is proud of that same home. Somebody else is driving by and saying, that's that's my rental. Me, I'm just like Bank of America. They're just sending me the check. I'm not involved in the emotional aspect of the actual home. This but so I have bad. friends I have friends that have 100 rentals, conventional rentals, like, and they do, and a lot of them did sub twos to acquire them, and they churn. They, have, they make no money. They're bringing in $100,000, $200,000 a month, but then after all the outlay, they're like, well, we didn't make anything or I'm down a little or I'm up a little. I might have made 10 grand, lost 10 grand. And over the course of a year, they, they might have 100 rentals, but they're not making any money. They're not making anything. They're just churning and churning all for someday. You know, one of my companies is called Someday Properties. All for someday, this will all be a good idea once they're finally paid down or once the rents finally go up high enough. And I played that game and I'm not playing it again. I'm all about the cash flow now. Man, I love it. So now you teach people, I know you've written a book and you teach people how to do this step-by-step. Step. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yes, yes, yes. Tell us how they can get started and how they can get your book. So the easiest way. So I wrote a book called The Art of the Slow Flip. And I think I told you earlier, I'm going to give everybody that listens a free copy of that. And they can go just to slowflip.com, S-L-O-W-F-L-I-P.com. And I have like 200, 250 copies that are printed right now. And they can just pay the shipping and handling. I think it's $7.95 and we'll send it right out to them. That's the best place to start because I always want somebody to know the whole process first so that some people will read it and it doesn't resonate with them. It might go against what they believe. Like they want to love their house and want to be, you know, be into management and want to go in and knock on doors and collect from their tenants. And some people might be into that. I know guys that still mow lawns on their rentals. And I'm like, hey, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I just bought a house in the Bahamas. And my plan is to be spending, as soon as my son leaves for college, to be spending three, four months at a time in the Bahamas. I don't want to be running around doing work on rental properties. So I generally advise people to read the book first 
And then if that's what resonates with you, then then to go a step further and you know, and I'm everywhere. So anybody that wanted to find me, you can just Google my name or go to any social media platform and I'm there. But I always think that's the best place to start is just reading the book so you even know if it resonates with you. Because some people will love the idea. Most people do. And some people won't. And the reason is my whole premise is all about freedom and quality of life and not about Lamborghinis and yachts. Not to say you can't have all that, but but that's not what I teach. I generally teach people to come up with their freedom number. How much do you need to be free? And then how many slow flips do we need to get you there and make a plan? I generally tell people I can get anybody free in five to seven years. And that's why now I can't get you Lamborghinis and yachts and mansions in five to seven years, but I can set people free, you know, meaning more money coming in every month than you have going out. And that's kind of the premise I want for. I went to this huge leadership conference and I got this book and got a chance to meet so many amazing people. But I, there's a book out there that I want to tell you guys to get. It's called Leadership, Not by the Book. It's by the CEO of Hobby Lobby. And I would say in the last year, that book has had the most impact on me and my husband. Um, he actually gave um, gives 50% of his money uh, from profit from Hobby Lobby back to God. Um, you guys all know that my that's my passion too. My goal is by the time I'm 54, I want to live on 10% of my income and give 90% away. And so that's my goal. And this right here would be the exact way to do it. Like this is like brilliant. And I love big thinkers. I love that you came on here. One of the things I love about you, Scott, is that you, you're you just like me. Like, I just give all the information. When I learn something, I am an open book. I'm not like, oh, let's keep it, keep it, keep it. We are all about that abundance mindset. Like, let's teach as many people as we can how to have this freedom. So tell listeners a little bit about where they can find you and where they can follow you on social. Give them your social handles. So I'm Scott Jelinek everywhere. So I'm I'm TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I'm Scott Jelinek everywhere. So I'm easy enough to find, but the best first step is to read the book. And that's why I, I just, I highly, highly, I've gotten great reviews on it, but most people that have read it you can change without even doing a further step, without going through a program, without doing anything, just reading the book. I did. I held nothing back. And there's enough information for someone to get started and actually go through the process. And raising money is in there as well without having to even take another step if you didn't want to. I think that's the oh best God. place to get started. Slowflip.com, you guys. Make sure you go there. He's giving you a free copy. So generous, so kind. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. That was fun. All right, you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.